If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and close to us sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Meryl Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan, I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 168 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we conclude another saga. We have the final part of our Look at Grania Whale, Ireland's Pirate Queen. This is Grania Whale, Death of a Pirate Queen. Uh, but before we get down to that, a very big welcome to any new and indeed any returning listeners. If this is your first episode, I would recommend listening to the first episode on Grania Whale just under about 10 episodes ago and see what we've been building up to in the last uh, couple of weeks and months as we've been looking at Grania Whale and the folk tales around her. And if you are, and if you enjoy that, head right back to the very beginning, of course, uh, to see what we've been building up to over the last three and a half years now of the journey of this podcast. And as always, if you're a returning listener, thank you so, so, so much for your continued support. Ways you can support this podcast, you can follow me, if you have not done so already, on Instagram, at FiresideBard. That's the best place to contact me if you want to message me, anything to do with business or personal or just to say hi, anything like that. That's the place to get me. If you're not on social media, you can get me at the Fireside Bar at gmail.com um, for the same reasons even if you just want to raise the hand and say hello uh, other ways you can buy my poetry book if you are so inclined and interested Garden Sea uh, available from the Headstuff website in paperback form or in Kindle version on Amazon that is there as well um, thank you so much to those who continue to buy that every week that means more to me than you'll probably ever know and I hope you enjoy reading it final way is of course to uh, support the podcast directly by joining Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can join and gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network and more there are of them each and every month. And other than that, if you enjoy it, just tell a friend and keep keep the fire spreading. Um, thank you so much. There, we have those out of the way again. Um, but thank you so, so much. And the story for this week, I am reporting to you, I'm recording live from Brisbane. I'm still in Brisbane. I'm in a different place in Brisbane. I'm on, I'm in a Quest apartment, um, underneath Story Bridge, appropriately enough, in Brisbane. 
it's our last night here. Uh, we were we had a show. I'm still on tour with the World of Musicals around Australia and New Zealand. We had a show in Toowoomba tonight, uh, just under two hours outside of Brisbane. We drove back after the show. That was our last seven seven in a row. Uh, two show day as well. We're having a great time. An incredible, incredible show. Beautiful theatre, the Empire Theatre in Toowoomba. Um, that is the town Jeffrey Rush is from. There used to be, when I was here in 2017, there was a big painting of Jeffrey Rush in the foyer that was not there when we came in today. And I asked them where it was, and they said that it had been removed after refurbishments. So I was very disappointed at the to not see Jeffrey Rush's portrait again. But incredible theatre, incredible sound, beautiful audience, especially for a Sunday night, uh, which is revealing when I'm recording this. I'm recording this late at night. We have driven back. Um, so what time is it now? It is um, 20 to 12 uh, here in Brisbane. And I'm knocking out, knocking out a couple of podcasts, especially when we're on the road this much. Uh, as I've said before, the time to record is few and far between. So I take any little moment of seclusion that I can have uh, to give you your weekly dose of storytelling. Um, but as I'm sure you can tell, I am probably sounding quite tired or deliriously tired. But that, I'm sure, will make for a good episode now. We'll have a bit of crack with it. Because this is a big episode. This is the end of our look at Grown You Well, uh, which has been one of the most rewarding things that I've had a look at on this podcast. It had been always, since I wrote the theme song, Grognuel was the last, for a long time, was the last person mentioned in the Fireside theme that we had not looked at. Mostly, as I've said many times, it's because she's a real person. She's a, a historical figure. This is a storytelling podcast. This is folklore and mythology. We don't really deal as much with real people. That's why I was very tenuous when I was looking at Brian Baru and the likes. Um, but Grognuel is a special case because folklore is what has kept her legend alive because there was numerous attempts not even to write her out of history, but it seems like it was a conscious effort to write her out of history, but just a lot of cases of her not being reported on at all. Uh, and storytelling and folklore was what kept the legend alive so that later generations could then do a bit of digger deeping, uh, digger deeping, a deeper digging into uh, English state papers to find any recordings and re uh, things written down about Ireland's Pirate Queen. And that is where we were able to form some sense of history to marry with this incredible legend of folklore that has become Grace O'Malley. And it's been so, so great looking in a proper depth about her. Because I thought that I knew there was this incredible biography by Anne Chambers that I'd read and knew I wanted to do a couple of episodes on, but like, could it have just been the story about Queen Elizabeth that we did two weeks ago? But I wanted to do a bit more than that. I'm delighted to, we have got the, the five or six, six episodes, I think it has been on Gronuel. And this is where it all ends. Uh, this is, it's no more fin finite and no more final than, uh, than the death of this pirate queen. So we'll chat more about it, of course, afterwards. But here we are, the final part, Gronuel, death of a pirate queen on Fireside. Gronuel, death. Of a pirate queen. Grace O'Malley had risked everything the summer she sailed for London for an audience with the Queen of England, Elizabeth I. But the gamble had paid off, 
as the meeting of the two queens was a massive win from the point of view of Gráinne Whale. Grace had secured the release of her youngest son, Tibbet Nalong, and her brother, Donal Napipa, from the imprisonment of her most hated rival, the English governor in Ireland, Sir Richard Bingham. Bingham had, without mercy and with great specific prejudice, persecuted the family of Ireland's pirate queen. Approaching her mid-sixties, and the same age as Queen Elizabeth, Grainne Whale had been granted the release of impounded ships and properties and had been given unprecedented freedom to once again maintain the land and sea of County Mayo for the remainder of her life. And her life was not nearly over yet. Sir Richard Bingham was in a serious quandary. He had long lived and ruled in Connacht without the interference of the crown, but now Elizabeth was involved, and Bingham could not ignore the orders of his queen lightly. But Bingham also believed that Grainne Whale had pulled a fast one on Elizabeth. And what's more, he was right. There are those who considered Grace going over to England to bend the knee to the queen made her a traitor to Gaelic Ireland. But for one, Gaelic Ireland was not united against England or the Crown. Their quarrels were more often than not with each other. So Gronuel's fight was not with England or Elizabeth, but with Sir Richard Bingham. But even with that said, Gronuel had asked so much of Elizabeth and had been granted everything she requested. But Gronuel had not had to offer the Crown anything in return. Usually any request made to the crown would come in exchange for sworn loyalty, the surrender of lands, titles or heavy taxation. Queen Elizabeth and her highest and most loyal adviser, William Cecil, Lord Burley, had taken pity on Gronuel, this little old Irish woman who had come before them. But Burley and Elizabeth did not know how capable Grace O'Malley still was. But Sir Richard Bingham did. Bingham had spent his career in Ireland keeping Grace and her O'Malley and Burke families in line. He had personally persecuted, imprisoned, tortured and executed as many of the family of Gronuel as possible because he well knew how dangerous these clans were. It was said that when Grace's son, and now the most powerful remaining male leader of the Burke clan, Tibbet Nalong, was released from Bingham's jail, he had been tortured so severely he could barely stand. So Bingham knew what Burley and the Queen did not, that as long as Gronuel could board a ship, she was a vicious foe to English rule in Ireland. Elizabeth's orders that Gronuel be given the freedom to maintain the land and sea of County Mayo was essentially carte blanche to return to her life of piracy. But this time, with the armour of the guise of fighting the enemies of the crown, Bingham had to be careful. He had to bring Grace O'Malley to heel without undermining his queen's orders. The cunning and cruel Bingham was more than up to this challenge to finally rout the reign of this traitorous woman. First, to curtail Gronuel's piracy, Bingham divided his own army so that a group of his own soldiers could accompany Grace's galleys as they took to the sea. 
This was under the guise of reinforcement, when in reality, it was surveillance. Bingham then ordered Gronuel and her son Tibbent along to seize and attack the lands of members of the Burke clan, their own family, whom Bingham claimed were in open rebellion. Gronuel's grandson, Richard Burke, had been acting as a decoy for the growing rebellion up north in Ulster of Hugh O'Neill. Richard returned to his lands where he was attacked by fellow Burks. His forces fled to the island of Inishki, where they were pursued and 18 Burke soldiers were massacred. Richard himself and four others narrowly escaped with their lives. That Gronuel and Tippett and Long played a part in the death of loyal men of their own blood did not sit well with them. Their involvement had been forced, but it shows that Richard Burke and his father, the Devil's Hook, Gronuel's son-in-law, knew that Grace and Tippett had no choice but to fight, because the Devil's Hook and his son both remained Gronuel's and later Tippett and Long's most valued allies. Bingham's final insult was to send his own soldiers into Gronuel's castles and demand that she feed and house soldiers of the crown. This put a financial strain on the Burke O'Malley's that Gronuel could not afford. Grace had been granted freedom by the Queen of England, but was still persecuted by Bingham. She couldn't sail, she couldn't plunder, she couldn't maintain. She was being forced to kill her own blood and she was being drained of all of her finances and resources. So Gronuel sailed once more for England. She went once more to Lord Burley and told him how Bingham was making it impossible for the Queen's orders to be carried out. She asked that Burley order Bingham to leave Grace and her family alone. But Grace would not get something for nothing this time. She offered to captain a ship of 100 men ready to fight in any of Elizabeth's wars at a moment's notice. She also offered the surrender of her remaining lands, those of her sons, nephews and cousins. That Gronuel, now in her late 60s, was still capable of captaining a ship of 100 men, never mind offering to lead them in wars, is yet another of one of the most remarkable aspects of her real-life legend. After consideration from the Queen's Privy Council, Gronuel's request was granted. In her advancing years, this deal with the Crown wouldn't have much ramification for Gronuel herself, but it would greatly for her sons and descendants, ensuring that the Burke O'Malley's survived the imminent collapse of their dear society of Gaelic Ireland. As for Bingham himself, well, in case you think these accounts of Bingham show an unfair bias, there were many other detractors of his ruling of the Connacht Irish without regard for justice or mercy. New charges arose against Bingham, not from Grania Whale, but from fellow administrators in Ireland. Bingham admitted his own guilt by fleeing his post and returning to England, where he was soon captured and imprisoned. Bingham wrote to Burley pleading for his own release due to ill health. Burley granted Bingham's release and when rebellion in Ulster grew desperate, Bingham was temporarily given the command of 5,000 English soldiers to march from England to Ireland. But before he could see battle, Sir Richard Bingham died. Gronuel's greatest foe was finally out of the picture, but Grace would not have occasion to celebrate.
as a new oppressive force began to approach her family. And this one didn't come from England, but from fellow Irish hands. Red hands, for that matter. The Nine Years' War, which was the greatest threat to Tudor rule in Ireland, led by the O'Neill Moore, Hugh O'Neill, and Red Hugh O'Donnell, had officially kicked off in the northern province of Ulster. O'Neill and O'Donnell had officially been declared in open rebellion with the English crown following their seizure of the English garrisoned fort of Blackwater, which Tyrone had previously helped the English to establish. A strong confederacy was formed, which wrote dispatches to the defeated and regrouping Catholic King of Spain, Philip II. O'Neill wrote to Philip saying that their cause was an all-Irish one. An easy concept to grasp in the wake of subsequent republicanism on the island, but an alien notion to the disparate and individual clans of Gaelic Ireland. The Confederacy offered the crown of Ireland to Philip, if he would deliver Ireland from their English oppressors. The race was now on to unite as many Irish tribes and clans under one banner, but the Confederacy's forceful recruitment tactics would cut off one of their most valued allies in County Mayo. Traditionally, under Gaelic law, the O'Donnells of Tyr Connell claimed overlordship of North Mayo. This claim had always been fiercely resisted and opposed by the ruling Burke clan. But now, with the new cause of the Ulster Confederacy, O'Donnell sought to reinstate this claim. He did this by seizing Sligo Castle from the ruling lord O'Connor Sligo, a brother-in-law of Tibbet Malong, thus giving O'Donnell access into Connacht. He sought to further secure this power by forcing tributes from the Burke and other Mayo clans. The final insult came when O'Donnell sought to reinstate the title of the McWilliam, the most coveted and highest position of power in Mayo, which had been declared illegal by English law. The Burks, as the most powerful Mayo family, met with O'Donnell after he summoned them to the traditional McWilliam inauguration site, Rusakira. Ignoring the most suitable Burke candidate, O'Donnell gave the McWilliamship to a puppet leader who held a useful garrison to the Ulster Confederacy and who would obey O'Donnell's every command. This election caused outrage and uproar among the Burks, who stormed away from the meeting, thus finally alienating completely the Burks from the Ulster Confederacy. Grania Whale and her family were between a rock and a hard place. They were caught between the oppression of Bingham and now the oppression of O'Donnell. Before it had been a choice between Gaelic law and English rule, but with the election of his own puppet McWilliam, O'Donnell had undermined Gaelic law, and with the removal of Bingham, O'Donnell became the main rival of Grania Whale and her son Tibbet Malong. With Bingham finally out of the picture, Grania Whale was free once more to return to her life of maintenance by land and sea and resist the new oppression of O'Donnell as her son Tibbet was about to emerge as the most powerful and influential leader in Mayo. Bingham's replacement as governor of Connacht was Sir Converse Clifford, who had a very different means of rule than his predecessor. 
Clifford sought to create allegiance between the Connacht chieftains through negotiation and compromise, not through force, violence and cruelty. He began this by retaking Sligo Castle, which had been seized by O'Donnell and reinstating its former ruler, Donna O'Connor Sligo. O'Connor Sligo now introduced Clifford to his brother-in-law, Tibbet Nalon, and the other leaders of the Burke O'Malley's. The chieftains were now pardoned by the governor for past offences, were made secure in their lands and given cattle in lieu of the property seized and stolen by Bingham. In exchange, the chieftains offered Converse arrears and tributes and to serve him against the Ulster Confederacy. Tippett and Along then emerged as Clifford's most valuable Irish ally as together they fought and drove O'Donnell's puppet McWilliam back across the Mayo border and back into Ulster. Tibbet Nalong, very much the son of his mother, then began to see his own worth and made subsequent demands to the English Privy Council. Tibbet demanded all of the lands of the McWilliam, pardons for all the members of the Burke family and the command of his own army. Clifford took these demands to the English Privy Council who granted all of Tibbet's requests. He was given an army paid for by the Crown but was entirely at the disposal and discretion of Tibbet himself. This decision to agree to formal terms with the English government was the defining moment of Tibbet Nalong's life. He had been born at sea as his mother was defending her galley from Algerian pirates. He had been born into the old custom of Gaelic law, which throughout his life was completely eroded and undermined, now as much at the hands of O'Donnell as the English. So... Tibbet's decision to formally ally with the English marked a decisive transition from Gaelic law to English civil law in Ireland. It ensured Tibbet survived the transition and emerged as the most powerful landowner in all of Mayo. Tibbet along, like his mother, Grania Whale, was a survivor. As for Grace O'Malley herself, at the age of 70, she finally left her life of maintenance by land and sea in the more than capable hands of her children. There is very little mention of her in those final years of her life, apart from accounts of the records of merchant ships who ran afoul of one of her galleys. Even when Grace herself was no longer at the helm, her presence was felt. It is thought that Grace O'Malley, Grania Whale, Ireland's pirate queen, died in her beloved fort of Caracahowley Castle, overlooking her dominion of Clue Bay. She was said to be about 73 years old, an astonishing age for anyone in the 16th century, never mind a woman who had spent her life on the harshest environment, the sea. Grace probably lived to hear of the death of Queen Elizabeth I, her enemy turned ally, one who she had far more in common with than not. Gronuel also would have lived to hear of the defeat of O'Neill and O'Donnell at the Battle of Kinsale in 1601. The Nine Years' War had been the strongest fight against the English in Ireland up to that point, and their defeat would lead the O'Neills and the O'Donnells to leave Ireland for mainland Europe in an event known as the Flight of the Earls, which marked the final nail in the coffin and the end of Gaelic Ireland. But Grania Whale died knowing that her family was safe, prosperous and secure, free from the oppression of the English and other Gaelic chieftains. 
the Burks and the O'Malley's would survive and Grania Wales' legacy was secure. And with that comes the close of the legend of Grace O'Malley, the daughter of a petty Irish chieftain who rose far and away above her station as a woman in the 16th century of Ireland, devoted her life to plunder and bounty on her beloved dominion of the sea. She married twice, had four children, had taken lovers and lives, and aided in creating her own empire of descendants that still pay homage and tribute to their beloved matriarch. She is remembered in songs and stories around the world. She is a feminist icon, an Irish icon, but more, she was real. She happened, and Grace O'Malley, Grainne Whale, Ireland's pirate queen, is a tale of one of the world's most remarkable female leaders. The end. She the Vahavan Balinvar, the Bear Grak to Venyven, a Duke of Roy shall live Merlock, is to Gilta Leshna Gaula. O Roshi the Vaho Walya, O Roshi the Vaho Walya, O Roshi the Vaho Walya, Anishir Hyakthon Taurig. A wheel a reel a vark of feckum, on a main bio in a year of oxshockton, groan your way like a smeal a gaskyok. It's fogart bonner gola. Oh, Roshidavaho, will ya? Oh, Roshidavaho, will ya? Oh, Roshidavaho, will ya? And is sheer shocked on Taurig, the grand yo will egg chucked our salio, ugly garm tome, margarda, gaily fain, is ni frank no spawning, is curry cheat ruager gola. Oro Shidavaho Walya, Oro Shidavaho Walya, Oro Shidavaho Walya, Anishir Hyaktan Taurik, Oro Shidavaho Walya, Oro Shidavaho Walya, Oro Shidavaho Walya, Anishir Hyaktan Taurik. I Know The Face is a movie podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network, hosted by me, Stephen Porzio. And me, Andrew Carroll. Our show is all about character actors, the type of performers you'll see pop up in supporting roles in blockbusters, the type of people you know the faces but not the names. Each episode we pick one particular character actor and discuss a couple of their movies, shining a light on the performer's career while giving listeners plenty of movie recommendations. So the show is a must for cinema lovers. Subscribe to I Know That Face wherever you get podcasts and follow us on Twitter at I Know That Face P1. And there we have the final part of the saga of Grania Whale, the death of a pirate queen on Fireside. And I hope you enjoyed it. Oh, my God. Oh, I don't know about you, but I am exhausted. Um, there's a lot there. Um, there's a lot of there that in my meager little brain was trying to sift through myself uh, and still trying to keep a track of while at the same time trying to make us clear and simple and entertaining a story as I can for you and like honor the history and the reality of Grania Whale but make it clear and just try and have the main components try and just 
tell her story in a in a direct and sim I, I always hate the word simple because even though there's a difference between simple and easy uh, simple is so often misinterpreted and that's why I love the Philip Pullman quote so much as clear as water it's like that's such a I feel that's such a nicer way of saying simple than simple because it's it's used as such a derogatory term now but it's like my attempt for the for the purposes of this podcast uh, as as someone trying to tell stories of folklore mythology and tell stories of my own culture and my own nation to deal with uh, an incredibly important historical figure whose legend has been kept alive through folklore to try and tell that story by also telling some version of the history. A very, very bare bones, of course. There's so much more to this. But trying to get that across. And also trying to tell as much of it as possible because it's so, so interesting. But I hope I hope that this was um, cogent. You know, I hope I was in some way articulate, articulate with it because this was an immense, immense challenge for me. Immensely rewarding to do, but immensely challenging uh, to to tackle a legend such as this and especially this final chapter where it is wrapping up everything but it does um, it's like what ends up being I think or certainly to me the most incredible thing about growing your whale and you can take your pick of anything of like where she was from the fact that she was a woman the fact that she was a pirate the fact that she met with Queen Elizabeth the fact that she led men in battle throughout her entire life the fact that she lived till she was 73 the fact that she was captaining ships until she was 70 the fact that she led a dynasty uh, that created an empire the fact that her son like survived throughout and to create this incredible line all of that is incredible what more than that it what i think the canvas the backdrop that is against this is what makes this so particularly potent that gaelic ireland everything that this podcast isn't kind of commemorating but like the 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 mythology that we have covered on this podcast is um the mythology that established gaelic ireland that was there right at the beginning when the celts arrived these are the stories that they told and they were telling these stories right up. And this is where, this is the moment Gaelic Ireland dies. Like there's a very definitive, the flight of the earls is literally considered where Gaelic rule in Ireland is is completely gone. And it was dying for a long time. It was uh, it was dying essentially like a 400 year death from, from when Henry II came over to bring strongbow under hill during norman times it's been a slow very very slow death march to the end of gaelic ireland which ends with the leaving of the o'donnells and the o'neills um and amidst all that which is of course the story we weren't telling and i encourage you if you don't know anything about this especially irish people because i didn't until um i read uh, or listened to a complete history of ireland the bbc northern ireland uh, audio series which I've talked about before, and I'll leave a link to it, is incredible. Listen, you can get it on Audible. Um, and that was because it was one of those blind spots there. An incredible lover of Irish history and the whole Nine Years' War and just basically Tudor, Tudor England in Ireland was one of the blank spots, was one of the gaps in, in any of my knowledge of, of Irish history. And I don't know a huge about more about it now. I naturally know a bit more from talking about Grania Whale a lot, but... 
um, the fact that this is such a defining moment for Celtic culture, uh, considering it would be another like 300 years before Ireland would gain independence. Like uh, Republicanism and nationalism only rose again like a good few couple of hundred years after this in a in a prominent, prominent way. And then that's what led to today. But it's such a different story. And Granuel, I feel, makes that real. You get this backdrop of that it wasn't just the simple narrative of English versus Ireland. That O'Donnell, University, Red Hugh O'Donnell, like oh, universally claimed in Ireland as, as this great liberator and this great hero um, who fails and, and the families then, then that fled and this martyrdom of Gaelic Ireland um, was incredibly oppressive to other clans within Ireland. And that's where we get the Tuatha Danann. You know, it's not this unity that we associate and that became very sectarian later on, and we won't get too much into that, but that it's so much, so much more complex once you even slightly try and dip into it. And, like, especially when we have Sir Richard Bingham so much as this great enemy in Granua's life, and he's a really handy figure to have because he was just diabolical. He's almost uninteresting. Uh, it's almost the the interesting thing about him is that he does seem to have been absolutely diabolical. He apparently does have defenders. Um, I would be interested to talking to some of these. Some of these, I'd say it's a great. I'd say there's a few great theses and dissertations on Sir Richard Bingham. Uh, theses, I'm sure thesi. Uh, you can tell I'm not an academic. Um, on that pretty much universally hated guy. Um. But it is like it's very clear by most historians and most scholars that Bingham was a bad dude. He was a cruel, cruel guy, and um, was not liked by anyone English or Irish. Uh, so he's a really handy figure to have as this enemy. But then it becomes more interesting when it becomes about the Ulster Confederacy and about this idea of liberating in Ireland, liberating Ireland from England, and offering it to the King of Spain. There's, there's honestly too much to go into that I won't. Um, if people are interested, let me know. It's like I will, maybe in like a bonus episode that could like talk a bit more about this, about the history behind it. Um, but that's naturally where our look at Gronuel in a in an official scripted way comes to an end with her death. But there's so much else around this. It's just such a an open ended conversation. It just has my mind racing now. I'm trying to even think of any way you could round it together. I suppose also let's let's just get back to the woman herself. And I cannot pay enough dues to again Anne Chambers' book, Grace O'Malley, Ireland's Pirate Queen. Please, everybody read that. If you've listened to these episodes and you haven't done so already, please read read the book. Um it's one of the best uh, his, historical accounts I've read. Um taught me genuinely so much about a figure I'd always wanted to know about and as always, this, the folklore and the stories are what get you into it. They're what got me into it. But then the history, the reality is always so much more interesting. Um, and that's, I suppose, what's ultimately interesting about the fact that folklore is what kept Gronuel's legend alive for the couple of hundred years when she was essentially written out of history. But it's the fact that that legend endured uh, that allowed the interest to come back that now we know exactly who she is. But it's it's folklore serving a purpose um, and then ultimately yielding 
uh, to history. Um, so it's it's a humbling thing for this kind of podcast. I'm gonna start talking. I'm talking absolute shite here, um, but it's great. It's 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 really great stuff, and I've loved doing it. And the final thing I'll say is I'll talk about the song. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, that was Oroche de Bahawalia, uh, which is one of the oldest and most potent and most important Irish folk songs and <coughs> later rebel songs. Um, in the 20th century, that became a very potent uh, song of Irish republicanism, which it wasn't initially intended to be, as you could clearly see from hearing about Gráinne herself and her fight was not with the English, but it was very much used as a potent, because it's in the Irish language, actually, and it is this story of independence and and this fight against this foreign enemy. Um, but just to give uh, like a translation of what those lyrics were, so like, uh, Oro was this sailing chant, it's like welcoming back, so Oro Shedavaha Walyu is essentially saying welcome home, so it's welcoming uh, sailors back from voyages at home but uh, a, a crude translation that you can find on wikipedia is hail a woman who was so afflicted it was our ruin that you were in chains your fine land in the possession of thieves while you were sold to the foreigners and so that's uh, the duke of raw shellop murloc is to jail to lesh gaula and then it's uh Grace O'Malley is coming over the sea, armed warriors as their guard. Only Gales are they, not French or Spanish, and they will rout the foreigners. May it please the king of prodigy that we might see, although we may live but one week after, Grace O'Malley and a thousand warriors dispersing the foreigners. And that, that is the literal translation of the, uh, the lyrics of those songs, of that song. An incredibly potent, incredibly beautiful song and sea shanty. But you can see how this became very, very potent as a song of nationalism and republicanism in the 20th century. When really it is a song of a fight against any enemy, regardless of where they're from. It's nothing about Irish versus English or Irish versus Spanish. It is like one woman, one family, like defeating any iron. Like it's a tale of, like hers, it's a tale of survival. And that's also me. And that's, that's Anne Chambers. That's not me in terms of that phrase. Is like, And that's a phrase that comes up repeatedly in the book that that makes it very clear is that Grace O'Malley was a survivor and that's what Tippett Long inherited most of it was like it was about survival and not about allegiances and like king and country or like Ireland forever it was about protecting your own and really surviving and with that this is already a very very long episode but this was a lot to get through so I hope you enjoyed this and all of the others um, I'm going to now go to bed because uh, I'm very, very tired and delirious, and I'm probably sounding like a lunatic. But I hope you all enjoyed this. I'll see you all, and you'll hear me all next time when we have a folk tale about... about uh, it's called The Hags of the Long Teeth. And that's all you're going to get. It's a, it's a fun one. Uh, it's another one from the Beside the Fire, the Douglas Hyde book, uh, another recent discovery. 
So again, from the Mayo Roscommon border, lot luck cooking all there. But I'll see you all. You hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. 